All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. And I just, I love Mike's story and what Jesus has done uh, in Mike's life. And that's why we gather. That's why we're a church, is that we are following Jesus. We want to learn more about Jesus because of what Jesus can do in our lives. And then have how Jesus can empower us to spread this message of hope and love that, that he has for us. And so I'm very excited to be here today and worship with you. Uh, what we're doing is we're taking kind of a three-week uh, break from a couple of different series, and we're just calling this the basics, okay? So we've got a couple of high school football players here this morning. When they started their two-a-days in the fall, I'll bet you their coaches took them through the basics, right, to make sure they knew what to do. And I think for a church, it's good to pull back and just remember why are we doing what we do, right? And so um, just to remind you our mission statement, what we're here to do as a church is that we want to be equipped so that we could extend the gospel together for the good of our neighbors and the world, okay? So we're here to, to learn about who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we can be equipped and ready to share uh, this news wherever we go this week, right? And so, and so real excited that in this basic series, we're just going to be reminded of the, some of the foundational points. And today, the big takeaway is uh, I want us to make sure that before we leave today, that we understand that we're not supposed to go out and just crank this out on our own. We're not supposed to just go and just try to try to serve God and follow God and become more like Jesus and help everybody around us, but that God has empowered us to do this. We can't do it on our own, okay? So, so before we look at that, um, let me just, let's just, uh, if you are a student, if you are a teacher, if you are a parent who has sent a child, we just have two girls now starting two universities and a son that started high school last week. It's game on, right? So if you are a teacher, again, a student or a parent who's just launched a, a student, could you stand up? Like, just get a feel for this. Like, there's a lot of us in here, go ahead, stand up, admit. Okay, so crazy time of year for us, right? And just everything, be easy to lose sight on the basics. And what I don't want us to do is get to May, the end of this year, and go, what was that all about? Like, we don't want to miss what God is calling us to do, okay? So let me pray while you're standing. Let me pray for us, uh, for you, for everyone here, that we would just launch out into this year ready. So Father, thank you. Uh, for those who teach our students, would you give them love? Would you give them strength? Help them do it well this year. Help them represent you in the classroom. God, for the students standing, may this be a year that they don't just achieve in the classroom or in whatever else they do, but may this be a year where they truly meet you in more deep and deep, deeper and deeper ways and that they can share you with their friends that they're going to school with. And God, for parents who are launching their students and trying to keep track with schedules, and all of that, help them as parents, God, keep the family focused on what matters most. So God, may this be a year where we flourish, where we see you lead us and use us. And God, too, while we're praying, I just want to pray for our city as well. As I, I just heard this morning of the shootings that happened downtown. No students involved, but still uh, some shootings that should not be happening in our city. God, would you, would you bring peace to our city? And could we as a church, be in the front line of extending the gospel to a city that desperately needs you. So speak to us today. Show us how you want us to launch out of here today, ready to serve you. In your great name we pray. Amen. You guys are great. Grab a seat. Sorry to make you stand so long, but 
Hey, you got the blood flowing a little bit, okay? So you won't fall asleep during this. So what I want you to do, we're going to look at two places in the Bible today. So when you came in today, you got a bulletin. There's an outline in there. You can follow my message there if you want to. If you have a Bible, if you could turn to the book of Acts, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. Or if you have a phone, you want to swipe to it, that's great. Um, don't just, just don't watch any Mayfield clips while you're doing this. Okay, so guys, so um, Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to look at the first eight verses. So the New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four stories of the life of Jesus, and now the book of Acts, okay? So um, it starts like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's pause for a second. It's like I just threw some of you in the deep end of the pool. Let's catch up, okay? So the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. He's also the guy that wrote one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Luke is like the story of Jesus, part one. The book of Acts is, like he just said, it's, um, it's, he had just written about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now the book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus did, all that he continues to do and teach. And so when you see the book of Acts, you're going to see Jesus' early followers take the message of Jesus, all that they just learned from him. They were loved by him for three years. They were just had the privilege of being around Jesus. And now the book of Acts shows what did these people do with the message they were given. And we just pause and say, we are also invited into what Jesus continues to do. There's no like ending really to this story. It continues. And all of us are invited to be part of this. In fact, it's been passed on from one generation to the next to the next that Jesus is awesome. And so we're invited into that to continue what Jesus has begun to do, okay? So we're in this too. This isn't just history. This is today, okay? So let's continue reading. It says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering And by many proofs, he appeared to them during the 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so pause again. This is telling them to wait. This is where Jesus is telling us this morning to wait. Don't just go charging ahead into this year. What he's saying to his followers is, I mean, I can imagine you've been with Jesus. You've seen him alive, risen from the dead. It's like, I just want to go change the world. Like they're just ready to go. And he's saying, no, pause, calm, wait for um, the one who I'm going to send you. Okay, so wait. And then verse 8, we're going to camp here a little bit. And he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's telling them to wait. And the reason they need to wait is because uh, the Holy Spirit is coming. And then amazing things are going to happen. Those cities and regions that were just mentioned, if you're not a geography all-star today, basically it was he started small and he got big. It would be like for you saying, I'm going to start using you in wherever your town is, West Branch, Iowa City, North Liberty, we start there. We're going to go through the state of Iowa. We're going to go to the ends of the earth. That what I'm going to do through you is going to be so amazing and so astonishing. But you have to wait because it's, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to see this happen. 
So let's talk about a couple things. Number one, who was Jesus talking to? Okay, these were his followers, his disciples. He'd been with them again three years. He died. He rose again from the dead. He proved to them that he was alive. If you were here last week, um, I had the privilege of preaching on the East Campus, and it was a full house. Parking was an issue. God is moving over there. Very thankful for that. And you got to hear from Doug Fern, the East Campus pastor here, and he did a great job of helping us understand what the disciples were like. Remember he said that even though they saw Jesus alive, some were still doubting. You know, it's like, so here's my point. Like, who's involved? Jesus looked at this team. It was not the dream team, right? This was not the A team, like Jesus. And actually, you'll see that throughout the Bible, that God uses who maybe the world would say, what are you doing picking them to be on your team, right? And yeah, Jesus picked them. It Maybe it's a little bit like what the Iowa State coach feels like every year. Like, I feel bad for the, I feel bad for the Iowa State coach because, like, you know what they've done? They've stopped putting permanent names on the doors of his office. It's a post-it note now. So, like, now it just says Matt C., you know, and they're just going to rip that off, and it's going to be some other post-it note. So, uh, so, but even in a much greater way, Jesus looks at his crew. And he goes, some of these guys are doubting me, and this is my team that's going to carry out the mission. And I just say that to anyone this morning that has already checked out and said, there's no way God could use somebody like me. I'm a total, I'm an epic fail. Like, I, do, I don't get any of this God stuff. I, I haven't even been to church that much. Like, how, how in the world can God use you? And I said, you know, actually, you qualify. Like, uh, you, you, Jesus wants you on the team. And the point is, um, you can use any of us that's just ready to be dependent on him and ready to be used and let him empower you with his spirit and then, Look out. God loves to work through average and unordinary and just, just people you would never expect to use, okay? So, so that's the team Jesus is talking to. Let me just clarify something else. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Let's talk about what a witness is. Just like in our day, in Jesus' day, you use that word. It meant like somebody would be on a trial who would be giving evidence of things they've seen or heard. But when Jesus begins to use that word, when it's used... Within the context of the church, it's, it's meaning those who have witnessed, who have seen the resurrected Jesus, those who have seen what Jesus came to do, those who have tasted Jesus' love and forgiveness and now are commissioned by Jesus to go. And so a witness, this is important, witnessing isn't something you do. A witness is who you are. This is your identity, that you have seen and been so changed by Jesus that you can't help but just to want to reflect him to the people around you. There was a time where Jesus' disciples were put on trial and they were being threatened. You better shut up or we're going to kill you. And they said this, we can't but speak of what we have seen and heard. We, we, we can't stop. So a witness isn't something you do, it's just something you are, that once you've tasted who Jesus is and what he's done, you, you, just, you just want people to see him and know him and, and that everything about your life just begins to reflect him. Again, it's not you, but it's him changing you. So it's interesting that um, the word, I don't like to just fling Greek words around for no reason, but if you were to look at the Greek word for witness, uh, it looks a lot like the English word for martyr, for martyr. And the reason was, is that Jesus' followers were so identified with him. Uh, what happened to Jesus when he lived on this planet? He was rejected and he was killed. And so those who followed Jesus often experience the same thing. And so the word witness began just because of what happened to witnesses began to morph into also meaning a martyr, somebody who would suffer 
for their identity in Christ. And that's got to tell you something, because that's happening today, too. Um, the country I've been most recently made aware of is the country of North Korea. That if I were to think if there's a regime, if there's a country in our world that is the most oppressive to Christianity right now, where certainly Christianity can't be flourishing, it's got to be North Korea. And I actually just read some stuff in the last week or two about how the number of people coming to Christ in North Korea is just booming. It's growing. And at the same time, though, you hear of the intense persecution and the prison camps and what's happening to Christians. Guys, that's got to make you pause and wonder. There has got to be something so compelling about Jesus that when push comes to shove, if I have to choose between being identified with Jesus, like living in his love and his grace and just experiencing him, if I have to choose between that and death, that so many people throughout history, so many people in our world today are clinging to Jesus. Guys, what does that tell us about Jesus? And I, the other place that takes me is, what does that say about me? Like, am I, am I, am I, you know, the things I'll end up maybe being quiet about. I've never been persecuted in a prison, but there's times I feel like I hold back because of Jesus. But what am I missing? That, that there's something so powerful about being identified with Christ the believers around the world are giving their lives because of how awesome he is. Okay, Jesus is awesome. So that's what a witness is. And then let's talk for a couple minutes about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait, because the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Let me give you a three-minute, start your clock, like a three-minute overview theology of the Holy Spirit kind of thing, okay? Man, I feel like I'm throwing some of us in the deep end of the pool. Here's a life preserver. We'll come out. It'll be about three minutes. You'll do good, okay? So here we go. Who's the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Maybe you've heard of the Trinity before, that God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, is fully God. Um, when Jesus was describing the day that he would leave and send his followers, the Holy Spirit, in John 14, 16, he said, I'm going to send you another helper. And the way he said that was another helper who's just like me. There's several places you can look where the Bible just clearly teaches Holy Spirit is fully God. And the other thing, a couple other things we need to know is that the Holy Spirit is a person. How many, you know, some of you maybe have talked about the Holy Spirit before, or maybe you've heard others. Have you, have you referred to the Holy Spirit as an it sometimes? Like, oh, I feel bad. Like, just know he's not going to crush you for that. Like, he, he's still loving and compassionate, but, but he's not an it. He's not like the force in Star Wars. He uh, is personal. You look at some of the verbs that describe what he does. And he leads us, and he teaches us, and he encourages us. And uh, there's other places in the New Testament that talk about that he can be grieved, that, that he can be lied to. And so there's very personal references, very freely. Jesus in the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit as God and the Holy Spirit as personal. In fact, Jesus would say that if you look at the life of Jesus, the way he lived, the way he did ministry— that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. There are many times Jesus pointed to the role of the Holy Spirit in his life. In fact, at the very end, when Jesus was crucified and put in the grave, the Bible tells us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. So you see Jesus modeling for us in his ministry a total dependence on the Holy Spirit, okay? So um, he's personal, he's God, and this whole concept about God in us that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Okay, hang with me on this, okay? You heard Mike 
Kobel give his story this morning about the day he received the gospel, the day he understood about Jesus dying for his sins, and and he asked Jesus for uh, forgiveness and for a relationship with him. At that moment, when Mike did that, according to what the Bible says, God's spirit came to live in Mike for the rest of Mike's life, okay? And that's just not Mike because he's from Wisconsin. Like, that's any one of us, right? That any one of us who trusts in Jesus, at that moment you did that, God's spirit comes and lives in you. The Bible uses phrases like that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is like a, a stamp of, of belonging, that you belong to God, you're his, so nothing changes that. The Holy Spirit continually lives in you for the rest of your life. And guys, I, I mean, that's profound, okay? That you consider the transcendent, almighty, awesome God comes to live in us. And that started happening right after the resurrection of Jesus right here in the book of Acts. So from that point in history forward, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God's spirit comes to live in us. Can you imagine, like in the Old Testament, like before Jesus, there were times where God's people would be aware of the presence of God. Like there was a time where they wandered through a dangerous wilderness for 40 years and God would comfort his people with his presence. There'd be like a a cloud or a a pillar of fire and they would draw comfort from that. Like God is with us, we can see him. Could you imagine telling those people, well, you know what, there's a day when that presence of God isn't just gonna be out there, but he's gonna come and be in here. Like, I honestly, I'm preaching to you about the Holy Spirit. I feel like I'm just skimming, like, the depths of what this means. Like, I wonder how we would live differently this week if we really understood that the Spirit of God, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that he has blessed you with the, the, the Spirit of God in you. How would you live differently this week? Like, how, how, how much calmer, you know, how much less fear, how much more confidence? Like, if you're wondering, should I do this or not? Trust me, like, there's probably some kids somewhere in the building saying, yes, I want a dad like that. I want a dad who's calm because he knows the Spirit of God is him. Just imagine how we would live differently this, this, this week if we really understood that God's Spirit lives in us. There's some things he does for us. The Bible talks about um, things like that he helps us understand the Bible. That one of the things the Holy Spirit does is when you read the Bible, he helps you understand it. So if, if this is a hard book for you to study, when you open this book to read it, ask, God, would you teach me something new through your spirit? Help me understand these words. Uh, he's called, the Holy Spirit's called a comforter. Uh, he's, called a def- he's called a paraclete. That means he's our defender, that when you hear lies about who you are and your identity, he defends you. He says, no, this one has been uh, loved by Jesus. This one has been saved by Jesus. In fact, one thing he does in your heart is cry out, Abba, Father. Like he, he constantly reminds you that God is your Father, that you are so loved by the creator of the universe. You can be secure. That's, that's one of his roles, just to make sure you are secure in what Jesus has done for you. In fact, if you want to just summarize what the Holy Spirit does, his role is to magnify Jesus, is to make Jesus front and center in your life, so that when you wonder about who am I or my identity, you look at Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. Or when you begin to fear, you begin to worry, you look and you see Jesus who reigns over this whole earth, who died for you, who loves you. And so there's calm and, and there's peace. And so his role, bottom line, is to put the spotlight on Jesus, okay? To do that for you and then to do that through you. 
that through your life, as you follow Jesus, as you live in his love, there's something different about you. You change and uh, you reflect who Jesus is. That is what the Holy Spirit is all about, exalting Jesus. And so um, that's God's agenda. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, his agenda is to exalt Jesus. And so if we try to take the Holy Spirit's power and do my agenda, okay, I want to have a great year at school. I want to do great on my football team. I want to like, if it's about me and my agenda, God looks at that and says, you know what? I I love you and all that, but I've got a better agenda than you, right? So it's way better in this world when Jesus is exalted than if I am, okay? So Holy Spirit has an agenda and it's to exalt Jesus. And so that's why Jesus said, wait, don't just go charging into this year, trying to be better parent, better student, better teacher, like wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So if I could summarize that, Jesus is saying it is better for us to have God's spirit in us than to have Jesus with us. And again, this is showing how much I'm just skimming on understanding the Holy Spirit because I think it'd be awesome to have Jesus with me this week. I think it'd be awesome to go around my cul-de-sac today and say, hey, uh, this is Jesus. Like, we're friends. Like, I just, you know, introduce him to my neighbors or to hang with Jesus this week. You know, here's a selfie of us walking on the res. You know, let's post that on Instagram. I got two billion followers right now. Like, that would look awesome. That would be, be really cool. Or just to have him there to ask him questions. And Jesus, maybe I just don't understand, but, but it is better that God's Spirit lives within me and within you so that wherever we scatter throughout the week, God is present and God is moving and God is working. So Jesus said, don't launch on your own. Wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to do now is if you could flip in your Bible about five page, five chapters, five books of the Bible, I'm sorry, five books of the Bible towards the end, you're going to look for the book of Ephesians, okay? So if you're flipping on your phone, just look up Ephesians. We're going to get Ephesians chapter 5. So again, what I've hoped you've heard so far is Jesus said, don't just try to crank this out on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit who I've given you. He's going to help you identify as my witness. He's going to help you enjoy me, enjoy my life, and represent me wherever you go. Okay, so hopefully you've heard that. Now what I want us to understand is a concept called being filled with the Spirit. Okay, you are all, if you're in Jesus Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there. He's not going anywhere. But the, the, the next thing the Bible teaches us is, is the Holy Spirit now free to work in your life? He's there, but is he free to work in your life? Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, because that is debauchery. That means emptiness or it's a waste. Uh, that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So let's ask, what is Spirit filling? What is, what is this chapter talking about here? So there's three things I want us to mention about being filled with the Spirit. Number one is being filled with the Spirit is about control. Who's, who's controlling us? And the analogy he gives here um, is there's two commands in verse 18. And unfortunately for most Christians who read this verse, most of the attention will go to the first command. Don't be drunk with wine. Okay, there's many scriptures that talk about 
the foolishness of being drunk, intoxicated, what wine can do to you, how too much wine can, all that. And so it seems like Christians are great at grabbing that, right? And just, and, and you know, it's justified. But I feel like sometimes the second command doesn't receive the same attention. Be filled with the Spirit is also a command, and it's commanded to all of us. And so let me give an example. Like, let's say I came up here this morning, and let's say, let's just say I I drank way too much last night and even had a few this morning on the way in. And so I come up here to preach and I'm like, hey, everybody, you know, and it's just clear, you know, you can smell me, you can hear me, I'm worse than I normally am in my speaking and all that. And you go, Doug, how in the world, like what nerve would you have getting up to preach to us when you were drunk? Doug, that is just wrong. But would we have the same kind of passion, the same, you know, resolve about the second command. What if I came up here this morning and I wasn't filled with the Spirit? You know, sometimes we just give each other a pass on that. Or maybe one reason, I think if you asked a lot of Christians, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You're going to get a lot of answers. And I think it's because there's either been no teaching or there's been bad teaching. And so I'm trying to give hopefully some good teaching here. Okay, so, so being filled with the Spirit is a command and it's all about control. So just like um, I remember my first couple years as a student here at Iowa in the dorm at Hillcrest, like just guys that I would be, guys that just seemed like normal guys, you know, from Sunday afternoon to Thursday night. We'd play ball together, we'd hang together, we'd eat, we'd watch football together, like all this stuff. But then when some of them would choose like to drink way too much, like I, I'd go into our dorm floor, you know, restroom on Saturday morning and there's one of these guys that otherwise just, man, normal guy hanging out, sleeping. Like, he slept that night hugging a toilet. Like, and I think, okay, I'll bet you he didn't plan that. Like, I'll bet you he didn't wake up on Monday and go, you know what, Saturday morning's today, I'm going to wake up in my own vomit, like, hugging a toilet. Yep, that's it. Or that's not why his parents saved for college. Oh, I hope one day he just wakes up on the floor. Like, so I'm not trying to mock that, but, I mean, it's just clear that alcohol makes us do things that we just normally would not do. It's, it leads us to do really stupid things when we are, you know, have access to alcohol in our body. It's about control. The alcohol controls us to do stupid things. The analogy is God has given you his spirit to do things, to cause you to do things that you normally wouldn't do as well. But how about the opposite direction? Like that you begin to look more and more like Jesus, that one place the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, I was in self-control is the last one. I missed one in there. Sorry, man, just whatever. Faithfulness, self-control, gentleness is in there. Anyway, all those qualities that normally on our own, especially if we're under pressure, those aren't us. Like that, where did that come from in a good way? That's what the Spirit wants to do in you, that, that when you are filled with the Spirit, He controls us. And you look back on your days like, man, I, that was good. Usually I get angry there. Usually I really get worried there, but that was awesome. I had patience. I was gentle. Usually a day like that will just make me tank, but, but I had joy. That is awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you for your spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants to control us so that he can help us be more like Jesus. Remember, it's all about being witnesses of Jesus so that our lives and our words reflect Jesus. So being filled with the Spirit is all about um, control. Um, it's also commanded. We talked about that. Don't be drunk is a command, but be filled with the Spirit is also a command. And it requires a continuous action. 
The, the verb tense there is be filled with the Spirit isn't written in a way that it's one and done, okay? It's not like, yeah, I prayed to be filled with the Spirit 40 years ago. And so that, and this gets confusing. Remember I said that when you trust Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and you're sealed and he lives in you for the rest of your days. He's not gonna leave you, okay? But there's this whole element of, okay, the Holy Spirit is there, but does he have control of me? Is he free to move in my life? And so this is a continual action. It's not a one and done. In fact, I think for me, it's several times in the day. Maybe you've had days like that where one moment, wow, I responded in a great way. Thank you, God. That was your spirit. But then five minutes later, you get mad at somebody in traffic or your kid says something to you and you snap. And so, so there's a need of continual throughout our day saying, God, help me be more like Jesus. God, fill me with your spirit. Uh, D.L. Moody was a great um, evangelist, pastor, leader from Chicago. And somebody asked him about being spirit-filled. And he goes, are you spirit-filled? And he said, I am spirit-filled, but I leak. What a great way to put it. I leak. And so, so that's true, that there needs to be kind of a, a reboot of our commitment to, to follow Jesus. So being filled is a continual action. And so you ask, well, then how does that happen? What do I do when I realize I need to be filled with the Spirit? Um, it, in one sense, it's unfortunate that I don't see like whole passages of the Bible, just here's how you get filled with the Spirit. Da, 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 da. Okay, or you don't see somebody standing up in the Bible and saying, I am filled with the Spirit. Um, you'll see things like being filled with the Spirit, they did this, or he said that, or but there's not a formula, which I think actually is a good thing for us because if I could simplify it, keep it simple, I think the way you free the Holy Spirit to work in your life is to be about what he's about. And he's all about making much about Jesus. Not making much about you, but making much about Jesus. And so if that's your heart, you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, this is your day. Jesus, you made me, you saved me. You've blessed me with some awesome people in my life. I want to be like you today. I want to follow you. I want to reflect you. I want to be your witness today. I just want people to see you in my life. And that's our posture. The Holy Spirit's like, okay, we're on the same page then. Like, that's what I'm here to do. That's why I'm in you. I'm here to point you to Jesus. And so that constant um, uh, um, just attitude of your heart, of dependence, and a desire not to live your way, but but to follow Jesus. And it takes a plea of just, I need your help. I can't do this. So it, on one hand, it might feel like weakness, but on the other hand, that's when you're freeing the Holy Spirit up to move into working you. You wake up and you, throughout your day, you just want to make much about Jesus. You want to follow him, be like him, speak well of him. You just want to represent him well. Holy Spirit says, that's why I'm here. I want to help you with that. All right? So make much of Jesus. If I could say one other thing too, we don't have time to go in depth in this, but in Colossians chapter three, there's a phrase that says this, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One of the Holy Spirit's roles is to help us remember and do what Jesus taught. And so I would say, like, how do I free the Holy Spirit to work in my life? That means to get the Bible into your heart, to dwell in the Word. The Word of God exalts Jesus, points us to Him. Who's the, who's, who's the Bible about? The Bible is pointing us to Jesus. That God's agenda is to exalt Jesus. 
and can bring you know, and point you to be more and more like Jesus. So, and so I would say, how do I, how do I be filled with the Spirit? Make much of Jesus and make much of the Word of God. And then you watch. You watch what God will begin to do and continue to do uh, in your life. Some of you have heard this story, um, but I, I just put this out there as an example. If your desire is really just to put Jesus on display, you're going to find yourself at times in some places where you have no idea what to say or what to do. But you just ask God to help you, and he'll do it. So again, I apologize, but to me, the last time I did a sermon on the Holy Spirit was last fall. And the very next day, I stepped into an amazingly awkward situation that that a funeral home called me and said, there's a family that just lost a 16-year-old, and they would they need somebody to do the funeral. Would you go do it? And so I'm driving to this home on Monday and didn't know anybody. I'd never met this, this son. I'd never met anybody in the family. But I just remember praying, God, your spirit is in me. My only desire for going there is that this family would see Jesus so that he would bring them hope and comfort. And I, I don't care what they think about me. Just help them see Jesus. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't have a plan, right? So by going there, and there's about eight people in the room, and we just go around with our introductions. They were very warm and received me well. But when we got to mom, the son's mom, she just, just boldly said, Pastor, you need to know that for 16 years I've been angry at God. And I just and I thought about God. I'm so mad at him. And I just, okay. So, but then, so then we continued, and, and uh, we planned this, the memorial. where There was some good, really good connections. And, but at the same time, I just kept thinking, Jesus, I can't just leave that statement there. Would you give me something? And I never took a seminary class. Like, when this happens, you say this. Like, I didn't, I didn't have anything like that. And so this is totally like, God, give me something. Give me something. And if you know me, you know I'm not smart enough to come up with what I said at the end of the time. I just thanked them for having me over. And I looked at the mom and I said, I, I'm still really hurt by what you said because I, I want you to understand something about God, that he's not mad at you right now, um, but he's as close to you as, you as he's ever been. And they described their 16-year-old son as like wherever he went, he brought joy and made people laugh, but his life was cut short. I said, God, God is as near to you as, and you just don't understand it right now, but he understands what it's like to lose a son, that his son came for a much shorter time than he should have. And wherever he went, he brought joy and hope to people. And um, so he understands his heart is broken just like yours because he's lost a son. And she said something. She said, um, he knows what it's like to lose his baby. God knows what it's like to lose his baby. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the, in the room after that. We're just bawling. And um, from that moment, um, that couple is, are friends of ours now. They worship here. Um, God is moving in their lives. And, and that, I just attribute that to the Holy Spirit. That is not me. That was not your pastor. That was not any seminary training. That was just flat-out dependence on the Holy Spirit. What do I say? And so I just say that, 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 that God's Spirit is in you to help you uh, point people to Jesus. So a couple quick things as we continue in Ephesians 5. How will I know? What are the evidences that I'm filled with the Spirit? Again, I get asked that sometimes by people. Is your church a Spirit-filled church, Pastor? You know, so that, that's usually a loaded question. Like, it could go a lot of directions, you know? Do you have snakes? Do you do this? Do you... I just like, well, let me answer like the Scripture says. Like, look at verse, uh, verse 19. Okay, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Listen to how he describes it. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. No snakes, no, no big, big things here, except some very powerful things. That when, when God's Spirit is filling you, um, there's going to be Spirit-filled worship, okay? This mentions psalms, hymns, songs. I heard one pastor say, God's going to put a song in your heart. It might not mean that you can sing well. Like if you couldn't sing well before you met Jesus, it doesn't mean now you're going to awesome sing, have a great voice after, right? But, but there's going to be a song in your heart. There's going to be, and sometimes we're afraid as Christians, we stay too logical and don't go in the feeling realm. But when you are filled with the Spirit, there, there's, a, there's a heart connection that, that leads you to worship and awe, and there's a song in your heart. In fact, when we gather as believers and sing songs, one of the roles of that is to allow spirit-filled Christians to fire each other up as we are singing the truths about Jesus to each other. We've started doing this more on our staff team that when we meet a couple times a month, we just sing together. And I'll be honest, there's a couple guys in our team that can't sing a lick, okay? But, but when I'm singing next to them, their heart, like how they're singing, just fires me up, right? So, so it's interesting, that's one place he goes, that, that if you are filled with the Spirit, there's going to be Spirit-filled worship. There's going to be Spirit-filled filled thanksgiving. He said, giving thanks always and for all things. There's another verse in the Bible that says that in all things give thanks. This says, for all things give thanks. We, if we are grumbling, complaining people, we're not filled with the Spirit. That's a gauge on the dashboard. Like, oh, I'm not Spirit-filled. Like, the Spirit fills us, then we're thankful people. I never forget a man that um, had a great marriage, was very close to his wife, and she was suddenly taken in a car accident. And at the funeral, I mean, it's, you can't imagine the depth of grief and sadness. But at the graveside, one of his close friends came up to him and said, have you thanked God for this yet? And I, if I would have heard that, I would have said, what are you doing? Like, don't, that's so awkward, that's so inappropriate. And this guy said that for him was a turning point. It just set everything straight. Did he still grieve? Yes. Did he still miss his wife? Yes. But did it remind him of who's in charge? And that it, did it remind him of how awesome Jesus is and that Jesus is with him? And so that was so powerful in his healing to give thanks for all things. Spirit-filled. How can I tell if I'm really spirit-filled with the Spirit looking at Jesus? I'm going to be worshiping him. I'm going to be thanking him for all things. And there's going to be spirit-filled submission Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Instead of looking for people around me that I've got to get stuff from them, I've got to use them, I've got to manipulate them. When there's reverence for Christ, Jesus is meeting all of my needs. And so I'm free not to take from each other, but to submit, to submit to each other. Pastor, is your church a spirit-filled church? I think one way you see that is, is my church submitting to each other? Do I see the generations submitting to each other? Do I see when there's volunteer needs that those lists are filled because people are submitting? I want to help. I want to serve other people. How about this even, that when the Spirit of God moves in us, um, you look in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God came on God's people, they began gathering like we do in big gatherings to celebrate God, to worship God. But the next place they also went regularly in their week was in smaller groups with each other. 
They submitted their schedules. They submitted their lives to intentionally meet together, to care for each other, love each other, pray for each other. Does that sound kind of familiar with what we're trying to do? Like gather on Sunday and worship, but then our encouragement is that you also get in a group of believers throughout the week because that's where the Spirit's going to lead you. The Spirit-filled people go and they submit to each other. They care for each other. They, they love each other. And so then you look at the book of Acts and as the story of Jesus continued, as these people were filled with the Spirit, as these average, ordinary people were filled with the Spirit, God brought them together to worship Him. God brought them together in smaller communities, submitting to one another. And then God gave them the boldness to love their neighbors, to bless their world by taking the gospel out together uh, for the good of their neighbors and for the good of the world. And that's even why we're here today, that they, this average group of people, faithfully continued to spread the gospel so that even today, here in Iowa City, 2017, we are following Jesus because of the message they shared. And guys, just just excited for this year ahead for you. I know the school year and all of this, but even for us as a church, God has entrusted us with the gospel, and then God has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. Now I say, now go. In my power, go. And what he wants to do through you, what he wants to do through this church in the year ahead would just blow us away. Like if we could just look and see, what would a spirit-filled part for you look like this year? Like what, what could God do? It would just blow, it would just blow you away. So let's pray. Let's pray together. And let me just back off for a little bit and just give you a chance to respond however you want to. If you just want to if it's thanking God for his love for you, his forgiveness for the gospel, you could do that. If it's thanking God for giving his spirit to you, if it's more of like maybe you've been convicted, like, God, I have not been trusting in your spirit. I, I want more of your spirit to be free in my life. And um, so whatever you need to say to him this morning, go ahead and, go ahead and respond. Jesus, thank you for coming for sinful people like me. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us new life. And then, way more than that, and on top of that, on top of all those great things you've already done, you also empower us with your spirit. God, may we today leave kind of a whole new understanding that it's not up to me now to just go and just kind of crank this out and try to be like Jesus and try to do all that I should, but it's up for us to leave today just realizing that we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. We make much of Jesus and we, we get in the Bible and try to understand it. We just stay dependent and humble that your Spirit's going to move and work and do things that would blow us away. So God, would you do that through your people? Do that for your church. Just constantly bombard your people, God, with your love for them, with their identity as being loved by Christ and then free them to just boldly live out their faith and point many, many, many to Jesus this year. In his name we pray, amen.